Um, go ahead and grab a seat. My name's Ricky. serve as one of the pastors here. Um, about 20 years ago, I moved from New Mexico to Nebraska, and after being here a couple of months, um, I noticed that, okay, hey, my tags on my license plates are about to go out. I'm going to have to go down to the DMV, register my car, probably get new license plates, all of that. So I uh, got everything that I think I, I needed. I had my driver's license. I had my proof of insurance. I wasn't sure if they need it, but I even grabbed my title to just say, okay, hey, this is indeed my car. Thought I had everything I needed. And then I also brought with me $60 in cash. <laughs> and as I get through the line and the, you know, do all the paperwork and stuff, the person at the, the window there says, hey, yeah, that'll be $253. Hey, I'm not, hey, thanks, um, you've been awesome. Hey, I'm not really sure what you're thinking that I'm doing here, but whatever it is you think I'm doing here, that's not what I'm doing. I'm just registering my car. That's, that's it, I'm not, not nothing else. Um, this should only be like $30. Then the person informed me that here in the great state of Nebraska, they have something called wheel tax. And then they have washer fluid tax and passenger seat tax and whatever. There's these other taxes that, hey, it is indeed $253. So then I had to get out of line with my $60 in cash, which I thought was more than enough, and go, go to my car and get my checkbook and then go back through the line again. Um, but... You know, have you ever approached something that you really underestimated what you needed for it? Some of you are like, yes, that is happening right now with this project in my house. I thought that this would just be a couple of days and no big problem, and now it has been a couple of months, and I feel like I haven't made any progress, and this is taking up way more time, way more materials than I ever dreamed of, and I almost can't stand the sight of it. Um, you know, or maybe it's to fix something, um, you, you estimate how long it's going to take you, what you need for something. It's just, you just totally have underestimated. This past week, Alex, who him and his wife, Mariah, just had a newborn, Eden, he texts the group, hey, how do I remove poop stains from the carpet? <laughs> well, what'd you do? I used carpet cleaner. No, you need stain remover, not carpet cleaner, you know, and then I just kind of Googled it and screenshot it, and it's like... Did you try that? Um, you know, it's Google. But, um, you know, uh, we, what, the thing is, though, is whatever you think that you need for a situation, that's going to dictate how you approach it. If you underestimate your need, you will approach something completely the wrong way. There's even this old saying, hey, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Hey, that's just not what the situation calls for. You need to really up your game. And in the text today, kind of poses this question, have we really underestimated the human condition? Have we underestimated our condition in how we approach God? And just like you don't bring a gun or a knife to a gunfight, we've kind of brought religion to a holy God and thinking, that'll work. I have exactly what I need for the situation, my religion. And Jesus today in the text is just saying, hey, you're approaching this the wrong way. You really underestimated your need, and you're also really not getting 
why I came in the first place. And so, if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, and so Jesus, here in Matthew, he's gotten finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And then he's, he's moved into healing people, healing lepers, uh, casting out demons, calming storms. He's healed a paralytic. And then um, we get here to verse 9, and the first point is this. Jesus calls the unlikely. Jesus calls the unlikely. Verse, or chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, <clears throat> excuse me, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now, to help us get a grasp of who Matthew is, because we could just kind of read that, oh, he's a tax collector, whatever, and we just kind of keep reading. To help us really get an idea of this, and I don't want this to be too heavy or anything, but I just want to use a current situation going on in our world to help us kind of see who Matthew is. I'm sure most of you are aware, at least to some degree, of what is going on in Ukraine and how Russia is, is invading the Ukraine and trying to conquer that. Um, <clears throat> and it's crazy. I mean, there's all this fighting, there's all this suffering, people are fleeing, and, um, and dying. And um, now we don't want this to happen, right? But let's say that after a couple months or after another year or so of, of fighting that Russia does indeed conquer Ukraine. They take over. And <clears throat> after some time, Russia's like, okay, hey, now we're, we're ruling over you. Um, hey, you know what? To fund our military that is in charge of keeping you in check and oppressing you, making sure that you don't fall out of line. We need money for that military. We need money for, for Putin and all these other people that are up in, in Mother Russia, and we need money to fund that. So, hmm, we're going to get somebody from you Ukrainians to work for us to collect the money and the taxes from the rest of you Ukrainians to fund us to oppress you. Who is up for the job? And then somebody's like, I'll do it. No problem. I mean, man, are you feeling awesome about that guy? Not really, right? It's, you know, Reggie or whoever it is is like, yeah, sign me up. Because if you're, if you, here's kind of the, the draw of the job is this. Hey, if you become a tax collector, you probably will get paid pretty good. Hey, even you could use your job to even get a little bit more money from your fellow countrymen. And you could pocket that. I mean, this, this is a very lucrative business. And you're kind of people that are in this, this nice situation. You're pretty prominent to do this. Now, if that happened, would the U other Ukrainians be like, we like that guy, this guy that is collecting our taxes to give to the Russians, and he works for them, and he's getting rich off of our oppression, Right? That's, that's who Matthew is in this story. He works for Rome. Rome is in charge of Israel. Rome has uh, defeated Israel. And even worse than Rome just in being in charge of Israel and the Jewish people, they said, hey, actually, you believe in one God, Yahweh, just to let you know, that's not what, what we think is really real. We don't think he's God. You know who is God? Caesar's God. And so if you're a tax collector, you're not only betraying your country, your, your fellow countrymen, but you're betraying your God. 
And that's who Matthew is. And so when Jesus walks up here and says, hey, Matthew, see you sitting there in the tax booth, come follow me. This is bad etiquette. I mean, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, time out. Hey, hey, Jesus, um, do you know who this guy is? Huh, we don't like him. I don't like him. Um, I mean, for Peter, James, and John, they're fishermen. On the Sea of Galilee, there's a good chance that Matthew is actually the guy collecting their taxes for their fish. This is not somebody that they like. In, in the next chapter uh, of Matthew, chapter 10, it lists the 12 disciples. One of them is Simon the Zealot. So that means that he is all about Israel and them becoming free. He's probably really into politics, all of this stuff. So Simon the Zealot would be like, tax collectors are terrible. He's probably not digging this idea that, that Matthew's being invited to the table. Matthew's bad. And yet, Jesus walks up there and says, hey, guy collecting these taxes, come follow me. And Jesus calls the unlikely. Matthew is not the guy you want leading your city group. He's not somebody that you want to be an elder. Matthew's not even somebody that you want to be friends with. But yet Jesus comes after him. I mean, think in the previous chapter, chapter 8, there's a scribe that comes to Jesus. A scribe is somebody that's, that's studying the scriptures. They're writing scriptures. They're a religi religious leader. And yet they're not following Jesus. And Matthew decides, hey, I'm going to follow Christ. I mean, Matthew's going to leave a high-paying job. I mean, this is, this is probably even costing Matthew more than it did Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. I mean, those guys left being fishermen. It says that in chapter 4 that they left their nets, they left James and John, they left their dad, they left the boat. But if this whole, them following Jesus, if that doesn't work out, they can just go back to fishing. For Matthew, he can't go back to being a tax collector. They're going to find somebody else to fill that spot, and then they're not going to, think Matthew's really on board. And so th this, is, this is a big, big decision for Matthew. I mean, contrast this with the, the people in the, in just at the very end of chapter 8. Jesus um, casts out some demons out of a person, and the demons say, hey, can you, can you send us into the pigs? And Jesus says, okay, I'll allow it. So the demons, they go into the pigs, and then the, demon, or the, the pigs run into the sea and are drowned. That's a lot of wasted bacon. I think we'd all tear up about that a little bit. And so the, the, the people from the village, they, they come out there, and they see what's happening. Hey, wait a minute. This, this is our livestock. These are our pigs. This costs us a lot of bacon. Hey, Jesus, you need to leave. Get out of here. I mean, Jesus is right there in front of their face. It's the Savior of the world, God in flesh. And they're like, please go. Because you're costing us something financially. And we don't want you around. What else might you do? And then Matthew here, he's like, I'm going to leave all of that. I'm going to leave my security. I'm going to leave my nice job, my nice tax booth. I'm going to follow Jesus. Doesn't exactly unpack it, therefore. Why, why did he choose to follow Jesus? I'm sure the Holy Spirit was moving in Matthew's heart. Matthew had been listening to Jesus, hearing his words, seeing how he interacted with people, seeing him heal people. 
And somewhere in there, Matthew came to this conclusion, there is more joy, peace, and life found in that man, Jesus, than there is in my tax booth. And I'm going to leave this, and I'm going to go follow him. And I just encourage you today, what is that for you? What are you like? No, I'm going to stay in my tax booth. I'm going to hold on to my comfort. I'm going to hold on to my schedule. I'm going to hold on to my money. Is there something that you're hanging on to that's really preventing you or hindering you from really grabbing a hold of Jesus and following him? I think one of those biggest areas today in our our world and here in Lincoln is, man, I'm going to hang on to my bank account. I'm going to hang on to spending money the way that I want. We don't really hand worshiping Jesus in the area of our finances. Maybe it's something else for you. But what's what's something that you need to be like, hey, actually, the real source of life is in Jesus, not in this thing that I'm holding on to. And and so we see here, Matthew's life changed forever because Jesus came after him. Jesus pursued him. Matthew is the most, again, unlikely person that you think that Jesus would go after, that would even follow Jesus, but yet Matthew is transformed. I mean, we're reading today the book of Matthew written by Matthew. I mean, God used this book of Matthew to change millions of lives, to impact, I mean, even here today, 2,000 years later, you and I are reading this. So don't... Don't ever, I mean, we see what what God is doing in Matthew's life. Don't ever underestimate what God could do in your life. Man, could God really do that? Could God really change me this way? Could God really set me free this way? He changed Matthew's life. He could change your life in, in bigger ways than you could ever think. Don't ever underestimate God's power. Don't ever underestimate God's power, not just in your life, but also in the lives of others. I mean, notice what Matthew does right, right next, verse 10. While he, while he, that's Jesus, was reclining at the table in the house with many tax collectors and sinners there. Matthew was like, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. And this is most likely Matthew's house. And he's like, hey, I'm going to invite a lot of people over. I'm going to, hey, guys, come over to my house. Let's see what's going on. And, and I wonder if Matthew is thinking, hey, Jesus has come for me. Really the most unlikely person that you think the Messiah would ever come for, he's come for me and he's changing my life. Man, what could he not do? If he's doing that in my life, what could he do in the lives of my friends? What could he be doing in the lives of these other tax collectors that I know? I know I'll have people into my house and introduce them to Jesus. Because, man, who knows what God could do? I think sometimes we, we maybe answer no for people. Well, I don't know if they would really want to know Jesus. I don't know if they're, I don't know. I would talk to them about Jesus, but I don't think they're interested. Don't ever underestimate what God could do in somebody else's life. Even just the power of hospitality. Having people, in, inviting people into our home, inviting people into their lives. So we see Jesus here, here he, called, he calls the unlikely here, here in Matthew, and he's, he's still doing that today. And so verse 10, Matthew is, while he was reclining at the table in the house, that's Jesus, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, now the Pharisees, they're the religious elite, they're teachers, everybody's looking up to them. Hey, these are the people that know what's going on. They're the ones doing the right stuff. Now, when they saw this, 
they ask Jesus' disciples. Not Jesus, but they ask the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, if I'm one of the disciples and, and these Pharisees are coming up to me, hey, hey, Ricky, why does your, your master, why is he eating with those people? I think I'd panic a little bit. I'd be like, oh, yeah, because um, I probably wouldn't know the answer. You know, I'd just be like, oh, well, well, hey, you know what? I don't know, man. We just kind of showed up over here, and, and oh, there's this food, and hey, everybody's got to eat, you know? I mean, gosh, have you tried this salsa? The salsa is awesome. Hey, look at this. Why don't we try some of this? Hey, some, somebody brought oatmeal raisin cookies. I don't know who invited them. How'd they get over here? Sick. Hey, but man, grab some guac. I mean, I don't remember what we're talking about, Pharisee. Man, let's just grab some food. Yeah, let's eat, right? But then Jesus, verse, uh, verse 12, now when Jesus heard this, he said, so then that would be rest easy, like, okay, I don't have to answer the question. Jesus will answer the question. Whew. Verse 12, he, Jesus said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners. So the first point is Jesus calls the unlikely. Second point is this, Jesus came for the sick and the needy. Jesus came for the sick and the needy. Now back in this culture in this day, when you ate with somebody, this was kind of a big deal. Today, if you go over to somebody's house or something like that, you kind of eat with somebody, that's not that, that big of a thing. But here it was, you're eating with somebody, this is this sign of acceptance, the sign of relationship of some sort. Hey, let, let's, let's get closer here in the Midwest, if, you didn't, if you're eating with somebody at lunch or if you're at a wedding party and you see somebody you don't like, we have Nebraska nice, right? Like, oh, I don't like you. Hey, how are you? How are you, Reggie? Good to see you. Hey, blah, blah, Huskers, uh, other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See you later. Gosh, I hate that guy. <laughs> right? And they're thinking, Ricky's a weirdo. Same kind of stuff. Right? And that, that's how we would do it. But back in this day, if you're like, there is no Midwestern nice stuff. It's just like, no, we're not eating with you. Reminds me of that movie Mean Girls. You can't sit with us. <laughs> right? that, 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 for them, this is a big deal. And so these, these Pharisees, when they come and ask this question, how can you associate with them? How can Jesus do that? How can the Messiah, the one, the, you know, maybe the Messiah... How can he have a relationship with, with those people? These are the kind of people we stay away from. And their question is not a question for information. Hey, could you explain this to us? Their question's a challenge. How could you? It's just, those people are disgusting. Don't you know who you're eating with? Now, before we gang up on the Pharisees, we need to realize we do the same thing, don't we? We all have this kind of division of good and bad. There's those people, and then there's the good people. We're all religious in this sense. We divide people into categories. Hey, the good people. Congratulations, left side of the room, you're going to be the good people. But no, hey, these, these are the good people. They, they're nice people. These are the people that go to church. Hey, these are the people that post these kinds of things on social media. We like these people. They're like us. Hey, but, but the bad people, ugh. And they, they, they post different kinds of things. They complain a lot. They do these things. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure, we maybe mess up and we do things, but not like those people. When we put these lines, big sins, little sins, and a lot of times we do it to feel better about ourselves. Because, hey, I, I can justify myself to the world, to God, to myself. Yeah, I do some bad things, but I'm not like them. In the Old Testament, there's Jonah, and he's a prophet, and God tells Jonah, hey, you need to go to the Ninevites, and you need to preach to them this message that I will give you. And Jonah's like, uh-uh, I'm not going to those people. Those people are enemies. Those people are awful. And even when Jonah eventually gets there and preaches the message, and then the people repent and turn to God, Jonah's angry. Jonah says, I have a right to be angry because you're having compassion on them, on those people. And we could think, oh man, I'm not like Jonah. But then think of how we even approach the text today. Oh gosh, I'm not like those Pharisees. Man, those Pharisees, they're so legalistic. Gosh, they just don't love people. I'm not like that. We're all looking down on our nose at somebody. Right? And it might be like, oh gosh, I'm, I accept everybody. I'm not like those people who think that they're superior to other people. But then we think, but I'm more superior, or I'm, I'm yeah, I'm more superior to them who think that they're superior to others. And we just kind of can't stand those kind of people. Today, some of you feel superior to the people that think a certain way about sexuality or people that think a certain way about gender. Oh, man, they're what's wrong with, they're what is wrong with society. Right? And it's easy to think that we're not like the Pharisees or, this, or, or Jonah, but we are. Because religion, hey, this is good, this is bad, these are the good people, these are the, ba the, the bad people, that's in the human heart, isn't it? Everyone has this line to divide so that we can look good to, to God, we could look good to the world, we look good to ourselves. And that's why the Pharisees ask this question. Why are you eating with Matthew? Why are you sitting down there and eating with those people? Now look at Jesus' answer, because the Pharisees think you should be eating with us, right? People like us. Here's verse 12. Jesus says this. Now when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well that need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners, so what Jesus is doing offends the legalist, the person that's all about behaving the right way, the religious thing. They see what Jesus is doing, and that offends them. How can you hang out with those people? But notice that Jesus' answer would kind of be offensive to our world today. Right? Today, we like to say, oh, I don't even know if there really is sin. Everybody's pretty good. You, don't, you can't tell people that they're bad. But notice Jesus' answer. Jesus doesn't say, oh, those people aren't that bad. Jesus says, no, they're sick. They're sinners. Right? Our, our world would be like, no, no, no. D Jesus doesn't say, hey, just love everybody. He doesn't say that. And so this is offensive to even both sides. And, and Jesus says, man, the doctor comes for the, the sick, not the healthy. 
I came to call the, not the righteous, but sinners. And what Jesus is not doing, he's not just saying, hey, you've drawn a line with the good and the bad, and I'm just shifting the line around. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you've missed it. You've missed who God is. And because you've missed who God is, you've missed who I am and why I've come. You've missed the mission of the Messiah. And, and he's correcting their ideas. See, Jesus' ministry, we see, is characterized by compassion, by grace, by, by pursuing the lost, the, lo- the broken, the sinful, the sick. See, the Pharisees, they thought, hey, when the Messiah comes, he's going to crush those people, the wicked, the sinner, and he's going to uphold us, the good guys. They didn't have a lot of place for a savior who accepted and transformed the sinners and then viewed the people that thought they were all good as hypocrites. And so God, God, Jesus is saying, hey, God's like this doctor. I'm like this doctor who goes to people not because they're healthy. That's not what doctors do. The reason doctors go to people is, is because they're sick. And that's what it is like with the heart of God. Because we think, oh, God came to, to, he came to call the righteous, right? Not the sinners. Jesus is like, man, that's not what doctors do, right? And that's not what I've come to do. Just like the sick need a doctor, sinners need forgiveness and need a savior. And then he quotes um, in verse 13, where he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He quotes from Hosea chapter 6. Hosea is in the Old Testament, it's a prophet. And at the time of Hosea, the people, they're kind of doing the right ritual practices. They're hitting the check marks, you know, yep, checklist, yeah, 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 I'm doing the right things. But their hearts were far from God. They, they had lost love for God and they had lost love for others. And they, they, the people even forgot what the, the spiritual practices were for. See, God gave, in the Old Testament, gave these laws and stuff. Yes, it's a reflection of his character and holiness, but it's also to point out our sin. And not to, the, those, those laws and, and practices were not to be like, hey, these are to show you how good you are. If you just do them, that's not their purpose. Their purpose is to say, hey, this is to show you how you much you actually need God because you're not good. God is good. And so Jesus is saying, hey, just like those people were in the days of Hosea, Pharisees, man, that's kind of like you now. You've lost the heart of God and you can't even see why I've come. And if, if if you don't see yourself as a sinner, if you don't see yourself as somebody that's sick, you're not only going to miss out on the heart of God, you're going to miss out on me. And when, when Jesus says, go and learn these things, the Pharisees wouldn't be like, cool, this is a chance to study. No, they would find this offensive because they think they know everything. They view themselves as, as healthy. Hey, we are the righteous. We're the healthy people. They can't see it. How many of you guys have seen this? It's an older movie called uh, Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail. All right, all right, thanks. It was first at three, and then it jumped to nine. All right. In the movie, King Arthur, he's looking for knights to come to his, uh, you know, to, to his group, and then he wants to cross the, this path, 
and there's another knight standing his way, and the, the knight says, if you're going to cross, you're going to have to fight me. And Arthur says, well, I don't want to, but if that's what it takes, okay. And so they start fighting, cling, 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 and then Arthur cuts off the, the other knight's arm, just the whole arm's off. And he's like, I've won, knight, this is over, let me cross. And the knight goes, what? Tis but a scratch. And then he's like, what? You know, and then they keep fighting. And then Arthur cuts off his other arm. And he's like, now the battle is over. And the, the knight says, it's but a flesh wound. And then he starts kicking Arthur. And then eventually he just cuts him in half. And he's just like this nub down there. And then the knight just says, okay, let's call it a draw. The, the, the knight just can't admit that he's been defeated. The knight can't admit that, he's a pro, that he has this giant problem. And he's just diminishing the state that he's in. And that's what the Pharisees are doing. We don't have a problem. We don't have a sin problem. I'm not, I'm not sick. That's not me. I'm not the broken. And Jesus, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, what does he lead off with? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The ones who are spiritually bankrupt and see it. And Jesus is saying, that's why I came. Because you, all of you, are spiritually bankrupt. All of you are broken and needy. The sick need a doctor and the sinful humanity needs a savior. They need mercy. They need forgiveness. And Jesus is saying, that's why I came. That's the mission of the Messiah. His heart is moved to compassion towards the lost and the broken. And if you don't see yourself as the sick, if you don't see yourself as the needy, you'll miss it. That just brings us to the last part. And, and so we saw Jesus came uh, for the sick and the needy. And the last one is this. Jesus is not a religion. Jesus is not a religion. Verse 14. Then John's, that's John the Baptist's disciples, came to Jesus saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples, you, you don't fast. And so the John's disciples are saying, Hey, we're kind of doing the right religious game. We're doing the right things. We're like the Pharisees. We're fasting. But man, you guys aren't. Hey, you were just hanging out with a party with sinners. Now you don't fast? You're doing the things that we wouldn't do, and now you're, you're doing the things, you're not doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. Now, Jesus could have said, I do fast. I mean, if you just turn back to, to Matthew 4, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights right before he went and was tempted by Satan to his face. Jesus could have said, well, yeah, fast, we fast. But that's not what Jesus replies. Verse 15 Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? Kind of the answer is no, right? The, the, the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Several places in the Old Testament, um, Isaiah 52, uh, Hosea 2, it refer, God refers to himself as, as the husband or as the groom and his people as the bride. In Hosea 2, God says, I will take you, my people, to be my wife forever. And so in this statement, when Jesus is saying, hey, do you fast? When the bridegroom's there, Jesus is saying, the groom has arrived and I'm standing in front of you. I'm here. 
And if, if there's a wedding taking place and the, and the groom is there, you don't fast. That's not a time for fasting. That's a time for feasting. Right? I mean, nobody's going to go to a wedding and be like, well, I'm not going to eat anything. I mean, even if you're kind of on a diet, you're like, whatever. It's a party. It's time to eat. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you, because a lot of times in, in, uh, in this society, you fasted to mourn. Jesus is saying it's not a time for fasting. Actually, in the Old Testament, there's only one time it's commanded to fast, and that's for the Day of Atonement. And so all of these other fasts, they're not Scripture they're not commands, they're tradition, right? It's religion. Hey, why aren't you doing the religious stuff? Jesus says, you don't fast when the groom's with you. There will be a day when he will be taken away, and that he's, he's alluding to his death and later on in his ascension. He says, then you'll fast, but not now because I'm with you. And then he goes farther, verse 16. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst. The wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No one puts new wine into fresh wine. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. So they're saying, hey, if you've got this old pair of jeans, and they've been washed and everything, then you have a hole in it, you don't put new, a new uh, cloth over it, because as that cloth shrinks, it's going to pull away from the old, the old garment, and it's going to rip. For, for wineskins... If you had a new wine skin, it's flexible, and, and, and it can move as the wine ferments. And so you'd, if, but if you had an old wine skin, it's brittle, and it can't flex. And so if you put new wine into an old wine skin, that, that old wine skin can't move. And as that, that new wine ferments, it'll just end up breaking the wine. And, and so what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, hey, I have come... And I am not an add-on to what you're doing. Your man-made religion, what, what Judaism has become in following all these traditions and rules and re- all of this stuff, you can't just slap some Jesus in there. Jesus and religion don't mix. It's not half and half. It's not a little bit of this and a little bit of Jesus. Uh-uh. Because they're not compatible. Because if you're going to try to slap some Jesus into your religion, you're going to lose it. You're not even going to see why I came. It's not just about making some minor adjustments to what you got going on. And slap some Jesus into your life. No, I came to make, do something new. To have a complete transformation. Because if you're trying to mix these together, it's not going to work. Have you been trying to mix Jesus with kind of whatever it is for your religion? Hey, it's, uh, well, I'm a good person. And Jesus, yeah. Hey, I'm not like those people. I don't do really bad things, but yeah, some Jesus. Are you trying to kind of mush those things together? Because if you're hanging on to your religion and the good stuff that you do that you think is going to make you better with God... You're old wineskin. And you can't receive Jesus. You won't actually really hear, really hear what he's doing. Because you'll continue to think that you're healthy rather than sick. And if you continue to think you're healthy, you're actually on the path to death, not life in Jesus. And then, but the good news is that Jesus didn't come 
because you're healthy. Jesus didn't come expecting you to make yourself healthy. Jesus actually came and said, man, you're sick. You're hopeless. You're, you are the sinners. You have no hope outside of me. You're spiritually bankrupt and needy. And I've come for you to rescue sinners. Has Jesus become kind of an add-on in your life? You're just putting a little bit of Jesus in with what you got going on. If that's the case, you probably don't actually see how desperately you need Jesus, his presence, his grace, his empowering spirit with you every day. Not just when you're bad, but every day. The good news is that Jesus makes you completely new. Your old self, it's not just like trying to take you and doing some behavior management, self-improvement stuff, and you just kind of put some Jesus in there. No, that just says, hey, I came to make you completely new. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. My, my old self is dead, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And his power, his love, his, his presence, his spirit that you desperately need, Jesus gives freely. Praise God. Jesus is not just something that you add on to your life. He didn't come to give you just some religion or anything. He came to give you himself. He came for you. This is good news. And the more and more that we see just how good this gospel is, the more that, the more that we see just our desperate need for God, our desperate need for Jesus and the grace and the mercy that is through him, we move farther and farther away from questions like the Pharisees are asking. Why do you eat with those people? How could you with, do that with them? We move away from that question and we move to a heart of gratitude, a heart of worship, and a heart of awe. And we ask questions, God, not so much, how could you eat with those people? How could you eat with me, God? Why, could, why did you come for me? I am the unlikely God. I am the needy and the broken. How could you, a holy, perfect, amazing God, come for me? And Jesus makes it clear. That's exactly why I came. Don't you ever think that your sin is too big that I want nothing to do with you. I came for you. I came for the sick and the needy, for the unlikely and if we ever ask that question, God, God, how could you come? How could you come, Jesus, and die in my place and pay the price for my sin on the cross? How could you do that? And Jesus says, man, because I love you. But, but Jesus, how could you love me? And Jesus says, that's because that's exactly who I am. I desire mercy. That's who I am. And so we're... Man, this is such amazing news to think that that's who God is. That he came for you, that he came for me, he came for us, and it's not because we're the righteous. It's not because we think that we're something awesome. It's because we're desperate in need. And he came and said, hey, I came for you. Sit, let's, let's sit at the table together. Let's sit and eat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, 
Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that this is true, that this is good news, Lord, that, that you didn't, I don't know, Lord, that you, you didn't come to call the righteous, Lord, but you came for sinners to make them righteous, Lord, that it isn't about our sacrifice but that we get mercy, but it's about your sacrifice that we get mercy. And so, Lord, we praise you, Lord, that it's, we can just rest and trust in who you are and what you have done and who you've made us.